Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends? It is here, part two of the epic tale of Chris Georgian and Blink-182. If you missed the first episode, Chris Georgian managed Blink-182 with Rick DeVoe back in the craziest days of the band. Take off your pants and jacket, enema of the state, self-titled, everything. He experienced the band blow up in real time. It was absolutely crazy. The first episode tells the story of that all happening, his friendship with the band, that growing to him working with them and Rick DeVoe. He also told a ton of stories and the most incredible pranks you will ever hear in that episode and how the band stayed themselves during that entire process. So it was a really fun episode. If you missed it, definitely go back and listen. This episode is a little bit different. It's the real part two. It's the next chapter of the evolution of the band. And he shares his personal thoughts on why the band broke up for the first time and him and Rick going on to manage Angels and Airwaves, and then an insanely tragic event that brought the band back together. And then the back half of the episode is even cooler, in my opinion, where it's his introspective take on the whole experience, how the whole thing related to him and what he learned from it, from being around that amount of success and all of the industry lessons that he learned and what that did to him as a person, how that formed him and his thoughts and him going on ultimately to do his own thing and working with Pat Magnarella, which is another insanely accomplished person in music. So he talks about that and he talks about all these valuable life lessons that he got from the whole experience of working with Blink-182. So if that's not a good episode, I don't know what is. Let's get right into it. You still, to this day, the way you tell the stories, you don't have that heavy, significant stress. You're kind of just like, yeah, it was fun. You know, you know what it was? I, I will say, you know, when when Blink broke up the very first time and, and Angel started, Rick and I started managing Angels, that time period, I think, was a very humbling time in the sense that you realize that like the ladder on the way up is the same on the way down. And it was, it was literally a matter of a day where the phones are ringing off the hook. People are calling you, you're not calling them, whatever you wanted would happen. Yeah. You know, it was that kind of era. And then the minute that it shifted with angels, it, it became this like phone stopped ringing, Whoa. you know, you're calling constantly and people that you always, I think, thought were like, oh, these are our friends, like meaning executives and people that you always worked with. It'd be like, oh, taking a couple of days to get a call back and be like, oh, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? So it was a very, I think, humbling time to kind of go up and have that happen and realize that you're kind of like, yo, it was very early on that I realized like you're only as popular as the biggest band you manage. Whoa. And I think it just created this thing of just like, be nice to people regardless. You know what I mean? Because you never know where they're going to be at any point of their career. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could be like annoyed with some random dude. And then next thing you know, he's the reason that this is happening or this or that, you know? Yeah. And I think just more so in sense of just like with no agenda. But I'd say that 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 was like a very big period where it shifted from Blink to Angels and Airways, where you realize like, roll the sleeves back up and get in the 
get in the trenches and really work. And I think that was at the time where it was, I think, more so for me personally, where it became more encompassing, where I started tour managing as well. I started production managing because everything with Tom at the time, it was such a precious thing. Yeah. And obviously it was his own kind of financial stake. So everything was so heightened or whatever. So it was a matter of learning every single craft. So I would say at that time, that was really where I kind of shifted to really do 10 more hats per se. Whoa, you know what I mean? Crazy. So you um, weren't like during the Blink days, y'all had like your whole road crew and TMs and it was just- yeah, we had, we had road crew. We had people- you know, I, we would go out to like shows, you know what I mean? It was very like, you know, you pop into a New York show, you go to a London show, but yeah, I mean, it was like, you had your go-to tour manager, production manager. Yeah. So you for know, Blink I think days, do- you, you weren't really like, that was yeah. never like your official title. Like you'd go check on them, but you were management yeah. getting it all done. Yeah. You would. Yeah. It was very much like management situation. And I think at that time too, I think back to what you're saying with the humbling thing. I mean, you have to understand, like I was very young. You know what I mean? Like at that point, I mean, I remember spending my 21st birthday at the Blink Pop Disaster New York show. Like we were on the plane and we thought it'd be like cool to like drink my first legal beer. Like it was me, Rick and Cheetah at the time, you know? So I was very young at that time where, you know, I think to, to come in and just get some sort of respect to get stuff done. Yeah. So it was never like a party to me per se, you know? Yeah. And I think also too, I just, I, I, I never, I knew that I had no clue at the beginning. So it was always a thing that I, I used to always latch on to certain people that I enjoyed yeah. and I would be like, okay, what do I like that they do? You know oh, what I mean? Cool. What do I like that they would do? And I would just be like, okay, great. I want to try to mimic that, you know? So we had like a tour manager, production manager, Eric Furman. And he was like, I really enjoyed like working with him. I was like, okay, great. Like, How does he handle situations? How does he interact with people? You know, certain people from record label executives. How was that? That was a lot of the early stages where I just, and I remember Rick was very like, yo, mouth shut, eyes and ears open. I just was like trying to take it all in of like, okay, well, how do I want to be perceived by people that I'm working with. It was very, that was very much the kind of tone I would say at that time. That's incredible though. Like talk about that's a college to go to right there. Holy shit. I mean, dude, where were you when I was trying to convince that to my parents? <laughs> yeah. Send them this podcast episode. Be like, look, see, Andrew says so. Yeah, I Years know, later. Right? No, um, that's crazy, though. Like, really, that's insane. What an amazing way to learn. And that's so cool. Like, I guess, like, Rick, but really everyone, like, to take that chance on you and to empower you and believe in you, but also for you not to get the ego and to keep your head down and to quietly observe and learn, like, wow. And to happen to experience the magic of Enema and take off your pants and jacket and just like that era to be around all of that. Oh my God. It's, it's funny. I mean, looking back now and talking to a lot of people that were fans of that, I mean, it's, it's more so just now is like, I guess more just a personal feeling or success of just like, okay, I, w- I was something to do with, you know, that whole kind of time, you know, it's never like I, there's, I can never claim anything. You know yeah. what I mean? 
Because like I said, it was always very much like very group driven in terms of everybody bringing something to the table. But it was that was the great thing is, is they were always open to hearing ideas. Like I remember when we were going in to record the self-titled record and we were thrown around the ideas of like, let's just put like a live stream in the studio. You know, it's like nobody had done yeah, that before. 2001? Yeah. We had no clue how we were doing it. Next thing you know, it's like we're renting this lady's house, having to like bring in T1 lines to make sure that there was like enough stuff. That was, the, I guess, the fun times where it was just like, you know, if you thought up anything and people thought it was cool, like you would get it done. Holy shit. What a college of life and opportunity to learn. So then it gets to the Angels days. Yeah. And that's like where you were starting to take on more hands-on roles and it was a different kind of set of stakes. It was a different, different tone for sure. But I would say that those were definitely the years of where I really, truly like... Like I remember Whoa. settling my very first show. And it's funny because when you look back, advancing a tour, dealing with international logistics, immigration, cartage, understanding weight and how an actual show happens. I'd say that was really when I was kind of like, okay. And you start to be able to apply yeah. it to like future stuff. You know what I mean? Where you, where you would really understand. Because, you know, for the Blink years, there's just very like, you call your tour manager, what's the quote? Cool, boom, 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 like, you know, line item. You know, and I think that was like, at least for me, I feel growing. It was that time period where firsthand I was able to like understand. Like, I remember the very first time, like talking to Doug, uh, Tom's guitar tech. And I was like, yo, I, why can't I hear anything? He's like, oh, we have no sound on stage. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I'm looking at 90 cabinets that weigh a billion pounds that take up half a truck. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, just for looks. And I was like, why are we then flying that in Cartage? You know, so it's like you start to like redefine like the business. You know, I think doing all aspects of it really started to kind of, I think, hone in things that I, I started like finding enjoyable about the job, you know? Yeah, I'm a big believer of that. Like to be the best version of an executive, you have to know how to actually do the jobs that you oversee. So like you being their hands on and starting yeah. to experience that on a different level, like it definitely like shapes you to then like really yeah. analyze it and understand it. Especially when you're out on tour. I mean, it's definitely a community and a family vibe, you know, and it's without a doubt, the band yeah. can't execute without the crew. And sometimes, you know, you're just looking at it at the beginning of like, okay, well, the drivable miles is this, but you're not factoring in the in the moment, a storm happening, technical difficulties, this drive, four on, one off, five on, you know, you're not factoring all this up until the point of like, how do I keep the crew dudes going to like get the show up and running so the guys have something to kind of work with? I'd say those were like the really kind of like informative years for me. That's crazy. And how many years was that? Oh God, that was basically... I mean, it was definitely two full angel cycles where it was, we don't need a whisper, I empire. And then kind of like the plane crash, which then kind of brought the blank reunion kind of back around. And then the plane crash was like a pretty fucking crazy thing for everyone involved, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, you know what it was? It was very, um, I think at that point in it, you know, there'd been... One Angel's record, we're, we're well into another cycle. It wasn't, you know, I think right when Blink broke up, everybody was kind of like, okay, they'll get back together in a few months kind of thing. Um, and I think at that point, it was kind of, I think long enough time gone by and Angel's was getting somewhat of, yeah. you know, success in that, right? Where they're kind of like, okay, like there, there was nothing, there's no talks or anything of it, you know? 
And I remember we were actually in North Carolina filming One Tree Hill. And we were actually on the way to the airport, like when literally we're boarding a flight and on the news is like the breaking Travis was in a plane crash. And we were flying to Boston because we were getting ready to start the Weezer tour. And that tour was very, that was the very kind of like rekindling where, you know, I remember like we landed in Boston and that night, Tom came in was we just listened to Blink music for the entire night. And I think it was the first time like ever, you just kind of listened to it and he was just kind of like, what? This is just all so simple. Holy shit. Like how has Blink become such a big impact, you know? And I think like when you're in it, and even for me, like at the time, like, you don't really have the like foresight to realize like truly how massive certain records were for like an entire like generation, you know? Um, So that was, that I will say that, I mean, that was a very, I guess, special night to really just kind of sit there and kind of go, whoa, you know, in terms of looking back and all that. And it's gotta be the craziest perspective, right? Like, like it's, it's crazy. You know what? I, I, the thing that I always, I think, admired, at least with Tom, was I think nowadays, like you can see because of social media, there's this, I'm not going to say an arrogance with artists, but there's this like kind of brag or kind of like, yeah, my yeah. shit's hot kind of thing, you know? And I will say, I mean, it, he truly, I think, didn't understand how Blink was as big as it was. And I think because you get that where, like I was saying, I think the blink years and everything that it was, I mean, they were just living exactly what it was. Like they, they lived and breathed that music, the style, the lifestyle, everything. And so I think when you start to really dive in and and dissect exactly what it is, and then with angels realize the amount of hard work to actually just get your first gold record, you know, because it actually is like meaningful. You know what I mean? I think you realize. So when you can sit there and you go, God, like I could just write, 10, all the small things right now, it's just super like, boom, boom, boom. Like this was my equation. You know, I think it was a moment where you don't realize how the the impact that it has on people, you know, at least Tom, I I know, you know, which I, I I still appreciate. I think even now, like when we're out and people approach, I think he still is very, just kind of like, Whoa, wow. Thank you. You know, um, it, it was a very genuine thing. I think back in the day where really it was just a matter of like, we want to sell out, our local hometown show and heard on the radio, you know? I don't know why, but there's one thing you said to me in all of that that just feels like it like encompasses it all, where it's you're literally, you're on a private jet and the catering is sombreros. Like, I just feel like that says it all. (laughs) I don't know what, but like, that's, it's, you're giving them all these crazy opportunities, but it's still the same people. Like, it's just like, yeah, fuck up some sombreros. Sounds good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there's definitely enjoyable, finer things in life where you're like, oh, you know what I mean? But yeah, it was never this like, you know, the few times that it was like a private involved, it, it was never, oh, what do we want? Okay, cool. You know, I think we also, I think it was like, we got P.F. Chang's too. I think it was like P.F. Chang's and Sombreros. That's yeah. insane. So, oh my God, this is such a hard podcast for me because I want to ask you every question and hear every story and every detail But I do want to get to another very important part of your story where you had the most insane college of life, Blink-182 days, all of that, right? Rick DeVoe and that era. Then you go to Angels and you experience it on a firsthand level. 
And then ultimately, like you get off of the road or, I mean, you really always kind of came from the management side, but now like your career, your job, like you are an artist manager and you now work with artists outside of that. So what was that like then kind of doing your own thing? Cause what's the, what's the name of the company that you're with now? So I work with uh, Pat Magnarella now. I was kind of, so once Blink got back together, you know, we did several tours. We did the Neighborhoods record, Dogs Eating Dog. Uh, it was getting to a point where, how do I say this? I think for me, I, I was going, it, it, there was a lot of things happening. I, personally, for me, I had just gotten divorced. Um, I was married very briefly. And I was having to basically rebuild my personal life. And so that was happening. The blink dynamic. Obviously, this is all my personal opinion. A lot of certain things that I think should have been addressed and discussed never really were. It was kind of like, oh, we're men. We don't need to talk about emotions. We're good. Yeah, cool. You know what I mean? And then it was kind of like, okay. And so I think that there was just this like aha moment with me where I'm sitting here rebuilding my personal life. And I think it was the first time ever where I was able to reflect, like I've been doing this for 15 years with Rick, traveled all around the world, been a part of big records, amazing moments. You know, a lot of the relationships, it very much is like a high school girlfriend where it's just so like in it, it is just live or die. It's all right now kind of thing. The big aspect I think for me was I was always a fan first and foremost. I always started out as a Blink fan that was able to cross that threshold and transition and be a part of it. And I think when you see stuff on the, the behind the curtain, you know, I think it was the, I think the, the second go around, like was really where you realize like, okay, this is a business and this is not just dudes that, you know, play in a garage that want to travel around the world. And you like descendants. I like burritos. Cool. We have a lot in common. You know what I mean? I think you, I think that was when I really was kind of like, it all kind of came full circle. And I think with where I was at and just everything, I just didn't feel like it yeah. was serving me anymore. Um, yeah. I just wasn't happy. I didn't know what I wanted to do, let alone, I didn't know what I could do. Cause that was what you knew. The only other job I had was That's movie such theater. A crazy you know what I mean? Place in life to be. And that must be so, I don't want to put words in yeah. your mouth, but I can only imagine how scary that could have been of like, obviously, you know, Blink-182 is fucking huge. Yeah. So the idea... Well, and also, too, you know, I think I think a big thing, too, was it, it was my identity. You know, like, people always associated me to either those Blink years, to Tom, to Rick. Like, that was just... That was my identity. And, um, you know, like, talking to Rick. Uh, and I talked to a couple of key friends that... Um, used to work at the record label or agent uh, during those years and since have kind of gone and do other things. And I, you know, started to just kind of throw around some ideas and I was like, Hey, like I'm thinking about doing this. I don't know. Yeah. I had no clue where to start again. Like I don't have a resume. I don't like, I was just like, for lack of better, I was like, I kind of fell into this. And I've been doing yeah. this for 15 years. You know what I mean? I think I'm good at it. I don't know. That's so nuts. And so I remember I was talking to um, an agent friend that works with Blink 
And, you know, she had like a really great talk with me, sort of like a boost my confidence. So like, you're great at this. This is like, I was just like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm i not very like, I'm the best at this. You know what I mean? She goes, you should reach out to Pat and at least start there. And I was like, you're right. That's like a good first move because Pat actually lives in San Diego. Because in my head, I was also just like, well... Do I need to move to LA? Do I need to go to New York? Like if I want to stay in music, like no one's in San Diego. And so I'd kind of been toying around with it. And I was like, you know what? Like finally, I was like, I'm just going to email Pat. Had a great relationship with him. Obviously, you know, we worked together during the Pop Disaster Tour. And he moved to San Diego, would run into him every now and then, try to surf. Just wanted to see if there's a conversation to be had. And He emailed me within five minutes. He goes, Chris, great to hear from you. I'm in Australia. I get back on Thursday. Uh, Let's meet at my office on Friday. And I was like, okay. Damn. And again, I went in not not really knowing, like, do I want to work with him? It was merely just I respected him as a manager. And I think I was still just trying to get my head around everything at the time. Can I ask a question? I don't want to... I don't want to mess up the flow, but I just... Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, like, he's so well-respected and has done so much. But then, like, I could only imagine as much as you love Rick and Rick was a mentor for your own mental sanity and for your own sake, like, it maybe didn't feel like you could even stay on the side of, like, doing things with Rick because it was all so closely tied to Blink and you were trying to... Yeah. You know, I think it was, I think it was also at a time too, where, where there was definitely just, I think a divide amongst a lot of people. You know, I, I think he's, he was understanding the same sort of sentiment where I was at. He obviously being further along in his career, family, kids, you know, I'm sitting here going, God, how old was I at the time? 32, just divorced, single now, no kids have to get a new place. You know, I, I think, and also too, like Rick always wanted what was best for me in a very unselfish way to himself, you know? So it was a That's matter cool. of like, if an opportunity presented itself, he would be the first one that would be like the number one champion for it, you know? What a fucking guy. That's yeah. Sick. Okay, cool. I was just curious. If yeah. That, so then you go, you meet with Pat. Yeah. So I met with Pat and um, like I said, went in and, and didn't really... It wasn't like, again, I was going in looking for a job. It was merely just like, hey, conversation. Maybe it was more like therapy of just like, oh, this is what I'm going through. This is kind of what I want to do. And honest to God, it was, I had an offer that night and he was like, hey, I'd love for you to come work with me. I think you're great. A lot of, you know, people that, you know, we both work with that are well-respected in the industry have great things to say about you. And I think you would be a great asset to the team. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Um, and he goes, when do you want to start? And I was like, Monday. And he was like, okay, great. Cool. Well, uh, I'll, yeah. See you Monday. And he goes, well, I'm going to South by Southwest. Do you want to book a flight? Like come out on Tuesday. I was like, okay. And at that time it was funny. This was like another big transition and I'll get into it in a minute. But, um, it was, I think that was another pivotal learning point in my career as well with working with Pat, where I'm now have been for seven years, you know, where, when you just have one band, maybe two, obviously, you know, in the height of Blink, it was like Blink 182, Newfound Glory, you know, we did some stuff with Isley, obviously did the transplants, we did Boxcar Racer, we did all the kind of like side projects during the first era, and all that kind of stuff. We did some stuff with some pro servers, but it was always very boutique, you know what I mean? It was never a matter of like, let's sign all these bands and bring it in. You know, I remember there was a minute where it was like, dude, should we do Jimmy World, you know, but it was like, we just, Rick was, the thing I respect about Rick was just very simple, you know, it was like, this is it. This is the focus. 
but yeah, it was, it was, it was that moment. So I kind of was like, okay, yeah, let's go. And so I remember I told Rick and he was just very super supportive, but I think also was just kind of like, how do we just like lose you? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I think it was at a time too, where, you know, I called our agent and, they, and it was that kind of time where it's like, Hey, don't, you know, I, I then, you know, didn't tell Tom. It was one of those where I think me exiting was, you know, there was a lot of stuff kind of happening where I don't know. It was just like a very, like I said, it was a weird time. I think for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah it's like, I feel that too, like being a fan of blink during that time. And like, I don't even think that it's like a bad blood or beef thing. Like, it's just like, everyone's growing up, everything's changing. And it like, it just felt like that all, like literally as a fan, I feel like yeah. you could perceive it. I mean, and, it, it very much was that, you know, I think, you know, I think once things kind of just took off, I mean, it was like literally like that. And here all of a sudden you're like, here we are, you know? And, and it was a yeah. matter of like marriages, divorces, kids coming, you know, and it's like you start to then start having your priority be a family. And then next thing you know, you're on the road X amount of years and you're kind of like, I don't want to be home. I want to enjoy. And you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. But, you know, when when you have such a big machine like that, it is like, again, like I said, this is coming, this is coming, this opportunity. And you're kind of like, well, I would be dumb to pass that up. So we'd be like, OK, let's do this, you know, and it's just right. I think it's the first time where you you kind of realize the the strain where you're on the road day in and day out. And it's like that moment of the show that you're just getting off work, you're meeting up with your friends, you're going, it's like, there's 12 hours of work before it, there's promo, there's a lull, you do the show, you get in a bus, you drive overnight. And then it's like, yo, it was a bumpy drive. I didn't sleep last night. I start getting sick. You know, it's like, and then everybody just wants, wants, wants. There's more press. There's that, you know, and you're just kind of like, give me a minute. Yeah. And you're trying to juggle, try to like, yeah. hey, how do you, and how it's do you like, keep everybody happy? Dude, totally. And it's like, that's, how could you hold that against anyone? It's like yeah. that, that age, everyone's just growing up so fast. Like you're forced to grow up on the road. You're forced to process all of these emotions, everything while you're keeping this band going and a band that's branded around being like funny and goofy. It's like yeah. you're growing up, you're dealing with all this life and it's like people know like the Mark, Tom and Travis show. And it's like, how can you, I can only imagine how yeah. it's like, how do you evolve that band and everybody? So I, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's you know, crazy. it's funny too. I think, I think, you know, we're seeing it a lot nowadays but i think the early start of it is people create a narrative of what they think it is and that's what they want you know yeah. it's kind of like oh go back to dude ranch and you're just kind of like you know it's the same old every time a band puts a record out there's like oh go back to this go back to that you know um it's just this constant battle with i think people's demands and perceptions of it and you're just sitting here going like totally so the, like the, the whole you switching was kind of you having that moment of just realizing like I need to prioritize myself yeah. and I need to take the second to be like, what's going to make me happy and like not. Yeah. And I mean, dude, don't get me wrong. I mean, there, there was definitely a period of several months. I, you know, at, at first I remember a lot of people were like, you're crazy. You're leaving. What? You know? And you know, there's self doubt of like, am I good at what I do? Do I know what I'm doing? Uh, can I break something? Can I have some sort of success? Is is there ever going to be success on that level? How do I manage my own expectation? I mean, there was a there was a time where it was it was crazy. But I will say, when you're out of that bubble, 
it was very empowering of like, oh, I remember the first day that I started working at Pat's, I remember I had like a 45 minute conversation with Mark and it was like the most amazing conversation I had in years of just like, just on a personal level of like, dude, super happy for you. Like blah, 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 catching up. That was, I think, amazing. Cause especially like where I kind of came from, I was like, yo, I was always kind of his guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, whenever he'd be on tour, I would stay at his house and watch it, watch his dogs, you know, it was like that kind of thing. And then obviously there was a flip. So it was kind of, you know, it's, I think, I think when I look back now, seven years, it's like, I feel like it's, you know, it's a great progression and it's, it's been an amazing thing to be able to kind of continue doing stuff with Pat, other bands, you know, when you, when you've worked with the band of that level at that success, you only have a certain idea of how things are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's nice to go into like a brand new baby band with that kind of tone. You know what I mean? I think yeah. a lot of other managers who haven't had that opportunity, you only kind of work in this scale. So I would say that's definitely something where it's nice to kind of, you know, when you understand once the stars align and things click, you understand, I guess, the motion of it. Yeah, like now that you've experienced all these different levels, like that you were just in this incredible magic moment, but didn't know anything else yeah. so that just became the normal. Then you had your like in it, in the trenches, angels and airwaves era, kind of like realizing a different perspective of it. Yeah. And then this shift, and now you're working with different artists and it's not that boutique vibe. Now is when you have the perfect perspective of all the angles and you can look at it and understand yeah. all that. I think you also reassess certain like victory points too. You know what I mean? It's, um, you know, I think there was definitely moments along the way where I was kind of like, what am I doing? I remember my 35th birthday, I spent in London with a band and they were playing to 15 people. Whoa. And I was like, wow. Okay. But you know, in two years later, they were selling out a 1500 cap and you're kind of like, okay, this is, this is exciting. You know what I mean? What's your roster now? Right now I do a band called Floor. It's on Fuel by yeah. Ramen. Which is awesome because Ryan Soroka books them who was Correct. also on yeah. the podcast. Yeah. yeah, I do a band called Double Camp. Obviously now in COVID things have changed a lot. So leaning in on a lot more stuff like, you know, at the company and teams and helping out stuff. We have a label, NC Records. So we're putting some releases out on that, um, helping head up that aspect of it. A couple things in the works, obviously, TBD. That's funny that even now it's not just like the black and white answer of this and that. Like it feels like that same, like you're just so good at doing whatever's needed. It feels of like, yeah, oh, I mean, this, 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 this is all going. I've, I think I've always come from an area where I don't mind doing the work. Yeah. Damn. And I enjoy it, you know, and also too, the, the industry that is today is way different than what the industry was. You know, I, yeah. I remember getting on the plane and flying to meet with Walmart and Best Buy and Target. And those were the days where it was like end caps and physical CDs and all that kind of stuff. You know, now it's talking to Allison Hagendorf at Spotify. It, it's so it's changed so much. And obviously now with COVID, I mean, things are changing and the industry's changing, you know, it's, it's constantly changing. And I think the minute that you claim to be perfect at this or that, I think it's embarrassing to try to claim because I, I I've always, I've always, even now I always claim, I was like, I don't have the best ideas. There's way other people that are way better at stuff than me. But I think at the end of the day, it's a matter of acknowledging that 
and empowering the people that actually are best for that in their position and allow them to actually perform and just incentivize them. Because at the end of the day, like I said, it all comes down to just being a fan. If you're in the music, into the music, then it doesn't feel like a job. Dude, you're blowing my mind right now because... It's hopefully in a good way. Yeah, it's everything. It's the way that I've always felt it should be like you are reaffirming like because you've been in the game longer than I have. Like I was just a kid skateboarding, listening to Enema of the State. I I, when Enema of the State was out, I was the kid that didn't know that there was a job in music. I was just like, oh, this is cool. You put it in your CD player and it's awesome. And like you don't think about it. And that's always like. That was my beginning was just my friends started a band and started touring and I was a fan. I liked it. I thought they were doing cool things and I wanted to be a part of it. That is the whole point of this podcast. This is the whole point of everything is like to hear stories from people who now have made it and like have the experience and can stand on solid ground and say, I was here, here, here and did this. And like what an honor it is to talk to you and have you have experienced a, an era of music that I idolized. Yeah. And through it all, it's just this mentality of be a fan of the music and be yeah. willing to do the work and like keep your head down and learn and you never know and you always have to evolve with it. And it's like these lessons that you feel are no brainer basic things I feel can be lost in certain people you talk to and it becomes this ego and it becomes the like, oh, if it weren't for me, it wouldn't have happened, whatever. And it's like, I don't want to hear that story. I want to talk to people like you and inspire even more people to just be a fan of music and to show up for the things they believe in. So every word of what you're saying, I'm just like, it really is that simple. I mean, you know, everybody's got to start from somewhere. And, you know, it's funny uh, when I, Throughout the years, you know, I was very active, like at the time of like when the Yahoo groups was starting and online was a thing. Obviously, I was like the one that was like posting on the Blink-182 websites, updates and this and that. And also just seeing a lot of fans at shows, people would be like, hey, dude, I'm a big fan. And they would always ask me and they're like, what do I need to do? Kind of like where I was going to Rick. You know, yeah. I was just like, dude, yeah. what do I, what, what do, do I, I major put on the in? Line for, you yeah. know, and for so long, I just kind of was like, I don't know. I let a dude into a movie theater for free, saw Rick at a show, and now everything I like, everything I owe is to those guys. But you look at it, and you, you, you know, I've started to kind of like let people know of like, okay, well, is there a local band or your friend's band that you love that you're passionate about that's good? Like, get involved on that level. You know what I mean? Like you sort of have to kind of start making your own noise. You know, obviously there's, there's now a lot of great opportunities with internships and now like actual major classes that you can major in, which is great. I wish to God I had a class to understand what music 101 was. My class was Rick being like, I'm going surfing, answer the phone, throw you in it. Hey, here's the record deal contract read it. I had no clue what royalties were. I didn't understand how it was. I mean, I didn't understand. I remember settling my very first angel show. Like I understood the concepts of it all and this and this, but to actually go through line item and doing this and this with the promoter, I remember I was in Tucson, like building an Excel settlement grid because I was like, okay, how does my mind work? I need to understand it. Okay, cool. Here are the ticket prices. This is what was sold. Here are the costs, you know? And going through it all, going through it all, and then fine-tuning it. Um, 
you know, I, I didn't understand that, like, I mean, obviously now there was that, but there, there was never that situation, but I was always down to and like ask questions, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing too, where I think people need to like sort of take a step back and not, I guess, claim to know everything. Like to this day, I still like call and I'd be like, Hey, how do you do that? You know, like, is that like, is this the right approach? I don't know, dude, at the end of the day, it's just like work hard and be nice to people and be a fan of it. You know, I was, yes. Like I was going to say everything you just explained there. Like, I feel like the conversation that we're having in this podcast, like podcasts as a format will one day either be antiquated or totally different. Like everything will always be changing, but I think yeah. the timeless lesson in your story, and I think that the thing will, that will always be true is being a fan and being passionate and making your own noise. Like you said, like yeah. technology is allowing us to learn and find data and information way better than we ever did. But I don't think it's ever just going to be handed to you. And I think you're always going to need those letting that person into the movie theater moments or being a fan of whatever it is like that, I think is always there and making yeah. your own noise, right? Like, I think, I think it doesn't it's even also, matter what it is. Yeah. I think, I think it also just takes a certain, you can't teach somebody it, but it's a matter of like, do you have the foresight to understand and recognize in that moment that you need to take charge and, and create your own destiny? Or are you trying to have it be given to you? You know? Um, yeah. I, it's, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, I'm still figuring it out, you know? Like, I've been doing it for 21 years. And at the end of the day, I still kind of, like, have these moments where I sit back and I go, shit, I still get to travel around the world and go to shows. It's pretty and as a fan bad. that you did it. Like that's pretty what it is. Rad. That's you what know, it's, about. it's it's trust me, it, it is definitely not lost on me where you know I def and it, it's it's funny, it's you know, having that aspect, I, I've lost that fan feeling. And so what I try to do, it's like when I go to shows, I, I try to like find somebody in the crowd that is like just losing their mind, going apeshit, having that kind of like moment. And I guess the second best feeling is just being like, okay, like I'm stoked that she has that. She'll never know who I am. But like my fan aspect now is getting off on the fact that I was able to like have some part in making this happen. Dude, I so deeply relate to that. Like yeah. just seeing seeing that your profession and that what you put your time and your heart and soul into is positively affecting somebody and like they're feeling those feelings yeah. that you had at those first shows. You're just like, yes, that is all worth it. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, that's, that's really what keeps you going, at least for me, you know, it's, it's never about a paycheck. It's merely about the fact that I get to work with great people. You know what I think as you get older, you start to just go, okay, I only want to work with really tight, awesome, amazing people. And kind of like what you were saying earlier, it's, you know, you, you grasp onto people like Farber that connect really amazing people, you know what I mean? That are kind of like-minded. Um, and I think that's important, especially in an industry that it's so competitive. You know, I look at it in the sense now where I've only ever worked in rock music. And I think even though rock is so important and powerful and big on a global scale, it's kind of like this dying breed, you know, when it comes to streaming and all these situations. And I think it's important a lot of times to really try to also just support 
friends and bands that are also doing stuff that help push the needle forward for you as well. Part of me is like in my head, part of my brain is like, yo, you are talking too much. Shut up. And the other part, no, like, this is your episode. This, this is, I'm like <laughs> on the, on the edge of my seat, like everything you're saying, I'm like, keep going. Yes. Yes. More like this, it's, it's crazy. But I, I love even what you said about rock. Like I just had a guest on Zach Carper, who's in that band Fiddler. And we yeah. had this incredible conversation about how he's like, yeah, cool. My band is known as like rock band, but he's yeah. like, again, like fan of music. And he's like, I'm here to push boundaries. I'm here to embrace the future. I'm here to work with the people that inspire me. And that doesn't yeah. need a title or whatever. And it's like these conversations, people like you, people like him, people like Farber, it's like that is what gives me hope in the music industry where it's like, oh, like it's a bunch of misfits that just love something that are down to embrace it and to evolve it and to welcome that change. And it's just so refreshing and exciting to have conversations like this. So like... Yeah, it's it's nice like when you, you know, I mean, Zach's amazing and crazy talented. You know, I, th I again, I, I love when people bring it back to just being a fan of music. Yeah. Not the like... What's the look, the vibe? How's the Instagram gonna look? Like, I need to be the like, it's literally, you know, I tell bands all the time, bands that I meet with, if the song's there, that's what's most important. If this, if the music is right, everything else yeah. will fall into place. I think we freaking did it. Like, I, <laughs> I like really do feel it. like we could talk forever and like, maybe we come back and come to a specific subject or a specific story time era, but. I mean, dude, it's funny thinking back now in my head, I'm just sitting here going like, I literally just skipped over so much, but yeah, like, I, it's very hard to look back. It's, it's hard to look back on 21 years and tell it in an hour and try to reflect and be like. Yeah, dude, it's it's an impossible task. I am setting you up for such a hard task. But like I <laughs> seriously like we can I would be honored to come back to and talk about any other stories, any other eras, anything. Yeah, dude, I would you know what? I would love to get you to talk to Rick DeVoe because I, I think I think he's a very integral part, not just in the bling thing, but but just the like Southern California action sports, the way it was kind of married with music action sports punk rock kind oh, of vibe dude that and understanding how he shaped you yeah that's literally how i kind of started you know he was he was the one that was promoting shows and that's how he came to and just that kind of whole hurley warp tour like that i mean it 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 was it was real dude i need to i absolutely need to plus i just love hearing him tell fletcher stories from pennywise cuz it's Crazy, dude so. oh my god yes it has to happen never get never get old it has that. to happen but ser like seriously like i think yeah. right now we leave it here at this bit and then we can come back to any yeah, yeah, piece, for sure. but like dude this was so freaking crazy no, dude, yeah because literally my friend everybody's texting like yo are we going to get <laughs> drinks and i'm like oh sorry dude, I, like, oh, I, I got I lost like, in it man like i I, it, <laughs> I try so so hard to uh to keep it right at an hour and maybe i'll like split this one into two episodes but like i couldn't stop. like it was like i was just sitting yeah. there and i was like well, go on go on this is crazy like you're like what, what? I, seriously like the and what a fucking honor to do your first podcast too. How how no one has asked you to share these stories and how that has not happened, I don't know because this is insane. 
There it is, the epic saga of Chris Georgian and Blink-182 concluded. I really hope that you enjoyed both of these episodes. If you did, if you made it this far and you listened to both and you want to help me out and support the podcast, there's three things that you can do that are all massively helpful. The first is supporting and donating to the show. It's the biggest thing you can do. There's a link in both of the episode descriptions. You can go to whereareallmyfriends.com. There's a little donate button. The second thing that you can do is if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave five stars and write a review. That helps it continuously get discovered in the Apple algorithm. If you're listening on another platform, all you have to do is just hit subscribe wherever you're listening and that helps massively as well. And the third thing that you can do is sharing it with a friend in any way you want. It can be on social media. It can be a screenshot on an IG story. It can be on Twitter. It can be knocking on your friend's door and playing it in person with them. Whatever it is, telling people about the podcast and the word of mouth has been really how the only way that this podcast has grown and it's grown quite a lot. So for that, I have to always thank you, but it's something super simple that anyone can do. So there it is. If you liked these episodes, please do that. I will be back next week with another one. As always, let me know who you want to hear from. Let me know other types of episodes you want to hear. I'm always trying to make this as good as possible and make it as enjoyable as possible for the listener. So there it is. Thank you for listening.